Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, in all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Please be seated. Dear God, we thank you for the warmth of this space, not only that the heat is working this morning, but for the warmth of this community, the warmth of our worship, the warmth of our songs, and the warmth of our prayers, and the warmth of your Holy Spirit, which fills each of us and binds us together. Open our hearts and minds to your scripture and your word today and throughout this season as we make our journey to Christmas. Amen. One of my favorite childhood memories was riding around in my grandfather's cab. My grandfather, my poppy, Jack Anderson, was a cab driver in Baltimore, and one of my favorite memories is driving around with him to the gas station, to the grocery store, downtown, or just out for a Sunday drive. I was always up for a ride with my grandfather, and it didn't even matter where we were going. My, my poppy's cab was the place to be. It was big and bright and orange, and it had that huge sofa-sized back seat covered in smooth black vinyl. It had the manual window cranks that you had to use your whole arm to get the windows up and down, and seatbelts back then were optional. Poppy knew every street in Baltimore and its suburbs. He knew all the ways to get from here to there, through traffic jams and accidents and Orioles games letting out and rush hour. It was no problem for my Poppy. My grandfather was a human global positioning system before there was GPS. And I remember that it was so comforting and reassuring to know that Poppy always knew the way home, whether it was winding our way through the city or returning from a road trip visiting family in Appalachia. You always knew he'd get you home. He spent a lifetime doing it for us and for his fares. I think we all long for home in some way. And perhaps we nostalgically remember home as better days, but we long for not just a better past, but a better present, a way that leads home 
the way that leads back to our true selves, to families and neighbors, to ways that lead to peace and mercy and unity, simplicity, understanding, and kindness. It was for those whom John the Baptist preaches to this morning, for those to whom he preached, that the journey could seem long and the path unclear and uncertain. And that's part of the nature of Advent, this sense of longing, this waiting, this watching, this hoping, preparing, and this journey that we make together on our way to Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph. Just as he did in the wilderness around the Jordan River, so John the Baptist appears again this Sunday into our world's spiritual wilderness, proclaiming, proclaim, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In other versions, he adds, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked straight, rough ways smooth. But instead of driving a Baltimore cab and clothed in flannel shirts and polyester pants and eating steamed crabs, John the Baptist shows up wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, eating locusts and wild honey and baptizing people in the Jordan River. John is getting ready for Jesus. But when the gospel writes about him making the path straight, quoting the prophet Isaiah, he's invoking an earlier event in the Hebrew scriptures, the Babylonian exile. The Babylonian exile happened around 2,600 years ago, and it was the forced attention of Jews in Babylon following the Babylonian conquest of Judah. The best and the brightest from Judah were carried off into Babylon for exile in 60 years, and it only ended when the Persian conqueror, Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon and gave the Jews permission to return home. Exile can take a variety of forms. It can be geographic, social, political, religious, spiritual, familiar. Exile can be self-chosen. It can be self-imposed. Or it can be enforced upon us. But at its core, I think, and at its heart, exile speaks to us about a deep longing for home. Matthew places John the Baptist's work in the context of another exile, Israel's internal exile to the Roman Empire, which dominated and oppressed them. He was ministering and baptizing in the shadow of the empire in a time of doubt and fear. And this is why Mary and Joseph had to travel from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem to be counted in Caesar Augustus's census. And so John the Baptist appears and speaks to a time not unlike our own, and he heralds the coming of Jesus, God's own Son, born into a world just like this, a time just like this. And Isaiah, in that beautiful passage, points us to the hope of it, that even an old stump can bring the sprig of new life. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. And that branch is Jesus who will usher in a world where the wolf lays with the lamb, where children are safe and the world will be at peace. On Wednesday night, Jenny and I are going to a concert by one of our favorite bands called Over the Rhyme. Uh, it's a husband and wife duo who actually wrote New Redemption song, which is one of the songs that our band sometimes sing. Lord, we need a new redemption song. Lord, we've tried. It just seems to come out wrong. Won't you help us, please help us just to sing along a new redemption song. Over the Rhine's Christmas concert is based on their three Christmas albums that they've recorded over the years, and they describe those albums as falling in the genre of reality Christmas, 
with all the tensions and complexities of the season and our lives and our neighborhoods and our world. And one of the songs we like the best is a song called First Snowfall about the -the over-the-Rhine neighborhood in Cincinnati where they got their start and for whom they are named. And it captures all the juxtapositions of the season. They sing, The Christmas decorations look ragged and rusty. The neon sign flickers on the cinder block tavern by the Salvation Army and the plumber's supply. The old downtown mission has John 316 painted in all capital letters above cans full of trash. But the pain is all peeling, broken glass on the sidewalk, glitters like chandeliers somebody smashed. And my soul feels as empty as a brown paper bag, the drained bottle inside it brought with bum changed. I'm so far from home and all that's familiar. Every prodigal knows how this story goes. Was I just running from what's too dark to mention or were angels escorting escorting me? God only knows. And then it's like an angel starts singing an old gospel song in that part of town where no angel belongs. But what is this music that falls on my ear? It's the very first snowfall of a very long year. I love that image of John 3.16 in peeling paint over the garbage and a much-needed piece to a tire world that comes when the first snowfall that sounds like the echoes of angels singing falls. The struggle and the hope are not mutually exclusive, but the song says they are woven together in the fabric of our streets and our neighborhoods and our lives. It feels like a real, honest, and authentic way to tell the Christmas story, where the most holy moments of Jesus' birth happen in a lowly stable because they weren't welcome in an inn in Bethlehem, where the stable becomes a home. The angels or the animals there become neighbors, and the shepherds and magi who visit become family. I have to say that I've already been listening to a lot of Over the Rhine Christmas, not just to get ready for the concert, because, but because I need to be reminded that this child that was born in Bethlehem came to save a broken world and that that child, Jesus, will do it again. For Jesus comes again and again to end our exiles, our banishments, to heal our prolonged separations and alienations, to heal our fear and anger and suspicion, to meet us in our despair, disappointments, and depressions. Like my grandfather, Jesus always knows the way home. Jesus is the way home. And even though we may not be able to see the way or be able to see around the bend, Jesus will make our paths, if not straight, then clear, step by step by step. Jesus knows the way. And Jesus is coming to lead us, as Isaiah says, a little child shall lead them. And so we watch, and so we prepare And so we open our hearts and make ready to receive him. Amen.